everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And we are the Evangelicals. We are sitting down to record this podcast a couple of days after Martin Luther King Jr. Day 2020. And so in reflection on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but also just in reflection on maybe where our own hearts are in ministry, we're going to be talking today about change in the church, social change, cultural change, and talking about Jesus and his approach to ministry, and really kind of asking the question, I'm asking the question, did Jesus come to affect change? And if so, what kind of change was Jesus even about? So we're going to start by talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We'll probably make our way to today eventually as we usually do. But let's let's start off talking about Martin Luther King Jr. I had the opportunity to go to a Martin Luther King Jr. breakfast where there was a historian from the University of Dayton yesterday. She made a really profound point in my opinion. She said, you know, when we think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we think of him from our point in history. We have all of his writings that are just full of scripture and just really good, rich stuff. And furthermore, at this point in history, our version of racism is much less drastic in, in many cases than it was in the 60s. And so for the most part, we always, we, we agree with Martin Luther King Jr. But one of the things that we don't recognize is that in the 60s, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not popular. He was not liked. He wasn't liked by most whites, and he wasn't liked by many blacks. And I don't think that we recognize this, but Martin Luther King Jr. was seen by many people, many blacks especially, as a softy, as kind of somebody who had sold out to white power in order to get what he wanted. But many people didn't think that he was really bringing about much social change. Uh, there was a lot of people that made fun of him that said, you know, he's just this guy that's just holding hands with people and singing Kumbaya. But when the rubber, where the rubber meets the road, he's not doing away with lynchings in the South. He's not doing away with the rate, the system, systematic racism that is continually contributing to the poverty of blacks, especially in the South, in the urban centers. And people didn't like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and so, so when we look back on him, oftentimes we, we look at him with a romanticized picture. But I think that this is part of what it is to be a change agent in history. Is that oftentimes the people who are cha- changing or shaping history, they're misunderstood. They're not liked. They're not popular. This is definitely the case about Jesus. I mean, there's there are a lot of similarities with Martin Luther King Jr. and Jesus. I'm not going to spend time making all of them. I mean, they both said things that people in their current context could not perceive to come true, and they were both murdered. <laughs> you know, they were both taken out. They The system couldn't handle them so much that they were both killed. You know, and so just reflecting on Martin Luther King Jr., but also our own lives, like I, I just wonder, as Christians and just think about Jesus, like what does it, what's the role of Christianity in bringing about change in the world? And what kind of change was Jesus trying to bring? And I think that as you look at Martin Luther King Jr. and and Jesus, I, I think that 
that that change is something that that people want now, but that true change, true transformation, uh, is something that is is long and it's messy and it's it's not something that unfortunately always happens overnight. It's interesting. I think it's in Acts one. So Jesus has been crucified, put in a tomb, resurrected from the dead, and he's getting ready to ascend. And I think there's a, a an interesting line where the disciples say, "Oh, now are you going to set up your kingdom?" Yeah. And and so they still had this this want, this not understanding fully. Even then, after they had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, they're like, "Oh, now you're going to do what we want you to do. Now is the time that you're going to set up your kingdom." And it's interesting, in our church on Sunday, we're going to look at Luke 4, where Jesus reads the passage from Isaiah, and and Jesus reads, you know, the the, the poor will be set free, the blind will see, uh, reading from Isaiah. And, and, and a lot of the commentators said there's one word that is so intriguing, and the word is when Jesus says, today, this has been fulfilled. Well, so you're hearing. Hearing. That, that it wasn't this going to be this future, it was today. And uh, and especially one guy, um, Fred Craddock, who is thought to be a really great sermon yeah. guy, you know, great preacher, homiletic guy, yeah. and he said that that is that maybe the biggest word in the text is that that God's kingdom is is being set up today, that it's not this future thing. But as we look at it, and I think as people were following Dr. King, they didn't see the the dynamic, the the huge sweeping change. That that they potentially wanted to see, so they got frustrated. Like I said, we're going to sing "Kumbaya." We're going to that that and that that true change, true protest. And even Dr. King said, "What we're actually doing is not just trying to change the law, but we're actually trying to change your heart." And it's going to take us a while to, and our, and our victory will be double, and that black people will have the freedom that freedoms that they have, but we'll also you'll also love us and see us as equal. And so I think that's two different things, and I think Dr. King was after both, not just he understood that you can't legalize morality, you can't legalize p- changing people's heart, but that for the yeah, for those you can't people, legislate yeah, those you can't legislate those three those things. And so in order to have true freedom, it was going to have to be more than laws being changed. It was yeah. going to have to be the heart of people being changed, and that is something that that I think he was truly after. So you bring up the Acts passage. Which and and when we read when we read back into the New Testament, we talk about how the disciples were confused or they didn't see what was what was happening. But the thing is, if we're honest, I don't know that there's any Christian throughout history that has really had a grasp on what the kingdom of God is or what it means that it has come or that it's breaking in. I mean, all of us who are honest and earnest are asking ourselves in our own lifetime, do I even get it? Do I even see it? Am I even a part of it? I mean, this is this is the thing about Jesus's work is that it's not easily defined. I've spent so many years in graduate education of theology. And if I know anything to be true about theology, it's that people don't know. Like We just don't. We don't know what we think we know. This is also part of the troubling nature of Jesus' teaching. This is what he says in Mark 4, 
um, when he quotes from the prophet and he says, they may indeed look but not perceive, they may indeed listen but not understand, uh, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. The Kind of this like idea of the messianic secret where Jesus tells people not to tell when he's healed them. There, there's just this sense of mystery around the work of the Son of God that I don't know that we fully embraced. One of the most troubling stories in the text to me is the John 3 conversation with Nicodemus that we've spoken about because it just continually comes up. It's perpetually troubling. If you, um, you, you must be born again. Well, what in the world does that mean? You know? Um, and Nicodemus is a smart guy. Nicodemus is a good guy. Nicodemus in the Bible is a good guy. We need to help kind of redeem Nicodemus's, the, the perception of Nicodemus, because he's a smart guy. He's afraid to ask these questions in public because he doesn't know which side of the aisle he stands on. And immediately when you start making public statements, you kind of start putting yourself in a particular camp. And I think he was nervous about that. But I think earnestly, I think he really wanted to know what Jesus was all about. And Jesus, I don't think is just giving him the runaround, but... I think part of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is in one conversation, you're not going to get all the answers that you want about what I'm about. But if you want to get what I'm talking about, you are going to need to be reborn in a sense. You're going to need to be reattuned to the Holy Spirit that in this same passage, Jesus says is like a wind that blows wherever, wherever it pleases. Um, I, and the disciples at the end of the day, as you mentioned in Acts 1, they thought that what Jesus was doing was he was going to bring about a political shift. And Jesus is like, what I'm actually about to bring about is the move, a movement of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, what? <laughs> I think what's interesting that when you look at Dr. King and, and on the way here, I was even listening to a podcast where a guy was interviewing someone who was a part of the civil rights movement and has written a book about how do we protest well? How do we really bring about change? And I think that one thing that she said that was very intriguing is that when you're protesting, she's like, you can't do the same thing all the time. You have to kind of switch it up a little bit because when you do one thing for a while, it's going to lose its... It's kind of its punch. It's, it's punch, yeah. yeah. So then you got to change and do something different. And And I think a lot of times as Christians, as the church, we've sought to bring about change and we find something and we ride that pony till, till it's dead. You know, we, 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 so it was, whether it be worship wars or now we do liturgical or now we do whatever. And I think that, that in the spirit of what Jesus did and even seeing all the different people that he talked to and how he chose to interact with people and, heal certain people, but not other people, or, or at least those are the stories we get in, in the Gospels, the accounts that we have to read about Jesus's life, that it that that all of it was intentional, I think. All of it was driving towards what does it really mean to, to be a part. So like rich young ruler, I think Jesus liked the rich young ruler. I think he was a smart guy. I think he was following the law. It says Jesus was pleased when he was saying, I followed all of these rules since since I was a child. And I think that 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 was probably true. And Jesus says, okay, but you like one thing. There's something that, that's got a hold of you. We don't have any other account where he told a person to go sell everything. You know, he, he does talk about giving and dying to self, but 
but that, that material possession thing. And so I think that as Jesus was encountering and talking, and I think as we look at MLK, he was always looking at the situation. Uh, maybe the big word is he was exegeting the situation. What's going on here? How do we truly try to make a difference? And then he responded in that context, in that culture. And I think it looked different in Birmingham than it did when he went to Montgomery, than when he went to Chicago, than when he was traveling all over the country. Those social protests took on different natures because of the situation that was happening and and how he felt was best to to combat, once again, not only what was happening legally or in that situation, but also how do we how do we truly try to captivate the human heart to help pe- bring about transformation um, so once again people can can see us as equal i I think about MLK and I wonder to myself like like in his day, people really didn't think that integrating was a good idea that desegregating everything from restrooms to drinking fountains was a good idea, which like we look back on that now and just think how ridiculous it is. I was talking to my little girls on Martin Luther King Jr. Day about Martin Luther King Jr. and who he was, and we watched some of the I Have a Dream speech. And and we um, we talked about how, you know, people hated each other because they had different different colored skin and how white people had enslaved black people. Um, and I asked my daughter, I said, why? I said, so why, why do people have different colored skin? Which I, I think I was asking the question because I genuinely wanted to know what she thought. And my daughter said to me, well, dad, because God made us that way. And what's what's really amazing is that her perception is a is a positive. Like she doesn't she doesn't have this perception of that there's something negative between the two or a reason for us to hate each other. And we talked about whether or not it was good to hate each other, you know, based on differences in our bodies. And like it was just this beautiful conversation, which for her in 2020, like intuitively, she understands racism is ridiculous. Yeah. But 60 years ago, that was legitimately not the case, especially 100 years ago. People were indoctrinating their children completely differently. So at our point in history, we look at what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did, and we just say, well, you know, what he did was completely necessary. It was obvious. It's a no-brainer. I do wonder to myself oftentimes, as a pastor, what are the things today that 100 years from now, people are going to look back and say, you know, the people that were on this side of this issue, they were idiots or they were selfish or they were unintelligent or what, you know, whatever it may be. I, I had the opportunity to sit down for breakfast a couple of years ago with Walter Brueggemann. He lives here in Ohio and he agreed to do, he had do, agreed to do breakfast with a curious graduate student. So I'd gotten his email from somebody. And so we went and we had breakfast and I asked him this question. I said, you know, Walter, you're one of the wisest and most revered biblical scholars, religious thinkers in America. At this point in your life, late into retirement, you know, what what are the issues that the church is ignoring that are going to be a stain and a scar on us in the future? And he said, the growing disparity 
between the poor and the rich in the church and the ecological crisis. And I kind of giggled. I was like, man, I was like, yeah, that's that's going to be tough to preach about in my congregation. He said, well, you asked. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no, 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 I did, I did. He said, he said, I think these, he said, in my in my in my gut in my heart you know these are things that um long after i'm gone people are going to say obviously we could have taken care of the earth better and it's going to be obvious and um that it's not going to make sense in the future if if the kingdom is coming it's not going to make sense why christians were ever okay with the disparity between rich and poor existing in their churches and in their communities. People are going to look back and they're going to say, I can't, like, how in the world did you live in this luxury? I mean, we're going to actually take seriously that parable of Jesus with, um, with uh, Lazarus and the rich man, where when we've talked about, we've talked about this parable, I think, where um, the, the, I think it's the voice in heaven that says you enjoyed good things in your life and now you do not kind of where we actually take that charge seriously, like, hey, we can't live in indifference to the impoverished. Um, you know, and just uh, just kind of like thinking about Walter Brueggemann as a, as a prophetic voice in our, in our own time, it, for, for all of us who follow Jesus, we probably should be asking the question, how do I need to be reborn? Like, how do I need to see the world differently? What what change do I need to be a part of in the world? Because Jesus did not call us to comfort, but he did call us to take up a cross. I mean, this is just plain in the Gospels, and we don't like to talk about this stuff, you know? But for me, this is what Martin Luther King Jr. Day does every year, is it kind of brings up this, this like, reminder in the back of my mind, hey, comfortable Jonathan, you hear this guy who had four four little kids and he was murdered for what he thought was right. Jonathan, what are you what are you doing with your life? Hey, remember Jonathan, you you're following Jesus. The guy who was crucified at 33, you're almost 33. Would anybody crucify you or are you are you just living such an such a simple life, such an easy life, such a comfortable life, a life that doesn't rub against anybody. You know, What's Jonathan? What's your cross? This is what Martin Luther King Jr. Day does to me every day. So maybe we're taking it out on you, our listeners. You know, right, like right. this kind of existential <laughs> angst of the pastoral call and this kind of thing. But it's but it's universal, though. I mean, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. You sh- do you not think about this stuff? You know, I mean, come on. I think it does beg the question though: <laughs> is how do we in the year twenty twenty bring about change? Is it possible? What? As a follower of Jesus, you know, how do we help our people? How do we help our congregations? How do we help our families? How do we, is it possible to bring about cultural transformation? Is that even what we're to be about as the people of God? Is it, what, what is, so, you know, as we are reflecting and it was kind of funny before we started recording, it did feel just kind of heavy, like we were just talking and it just seemed that, that it does as someone who was trying to, to hear the prophets in the old Testament and to hear the prophets, the modern day prophets, like an MLK and, and seeing all of the good they did 
and you think that that once again, am I am I doing that? And so once again, it begs the question: Are we to be about that? Are we? What are we to be about as the people of God? And how do we? Is it worth it? Are people just going to believe what they believe? Are people just stuck in their ways? Are people? Um, do people really want to change? Are people interested in knowing more about Jesus, or do they feel comfortable in in what they believe? I know I'm asking a ton of questions and not giving any answers, but I think that as we journey through this time, those are the questions like, is is it worth it to ruffle feathers and to, do we lose ground? Do we gain ground? And so I think that as we have journeyed through the MLK time, it's always questions I think that as a person of God, what does it mean to be a person of God? And how do we, how do we journey forward in those conversations? I, I think that, humanity i think it's a, i think it's a common human thing to not want to ruffle feathers just for the sake of self-preservation and even just thinking historically about where jesus sat uh, so he was a jew in the roman empire in um judea so so he's in he's in the jewish like area of the roman empire so it was okay that he was a jew but you also wanted to make sure like not to get too much Roman attention because Rome had demonstrated that they were not afraid to send extra battalions of soldiers and to shut down any sort of rebellion or movement that might've threatened the well-being of the empire. Right? So like Jesus grew up in this kind of nervous season of being a Jew, you know, uh, some people wanted, were looking for him to be a zealot to rise up and overthrow the Roman government. Um, but but I think for probably a majority of Jews in his time were just wanting him to be a good, nice rabbi. It just helped them live good, nice, peaceful lives. And one of the things that that I hear people talk about in the church is a desire for peace. But when I hear people in the church talk about peace more than anything, I hear them talk about no conflict. Yeah. Like they don't want these feather they don't want their feathers to be ruffled. They just want they just want people to tickle their ears and to feel like their life is okay and they don't want you to bring up all the horror that is in the world or or any sense of change because change is very upsetting. But when I look historically about what like what in the world is Christianity? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Christianity is this movement that was started by a guy who really was was after change, change in the world. I, I don't claim to know exactly all the change that that Jesus was about. I think this was part of the mystery of the kingdom of God. But he was definitely after heart change, after rebirth in individuals, and was after a change that would affect the the social realm, you know? And I I just I I think to myself like what change am I a part of? What change am I even willing to be a part of? Like what how in the world am I leading my family to live any differently than the world around me? And can I even claim to be a Christian if I'm not leading my family to live any differently than than just the cultural norms around us. Let me let me jump in and and I want to go back to that Luke four passage because okay. it's interesting 
and you know, if you're going to be in my church and you're listening to this, I'm just giving the whole sermon, but I just think it's very important. I think it speaks to this because when Jesus said today, this scripture is fulfilled. We like to stop there a lot of times, but if you read further in the passage, something really interesting happens that we don't talk a whole lot about. And, and so the people are amazed. The people are, this is, a, this is amazing. This is great. And I think what Jesus was doing was literally saying, hey, remember the call of Abraham? That the whole point of this, this, this whole movement of God, the whole reason you are my people was I was going to bless you so that you would then be a blessing to, to the nations. world, to all nations. And so when Jesus says, today this has been fulfilled, I think it's it's this understanding of that promise that God made to a man named Abram is going to happen. Because then what Jesus does is the people are like, this is great, this is awesome. Well, then he tells two Old Testament stories. He tells the story of um, Elijah healing a Mm non-Israelite from leprosy. And he tells the story of, I think it's Jonah, reaching a people that that weren't Israelites. And the people get furious. They get upset to the point they drive him out of town. Well, they were Syrians. And they're going to throw him off a cliff and stone him to death. So they were excited when Jesus says, hey, today this kingdom is going to be set up. But when he took them back to the original purpose of what this whole thing from the beginning was to be about was to reach the Gentiles, which is what kind of what Luke's gospel seems to be about in a big sort of way. They were pretty upset. They were up. They were furious. And the whole time Jesus is like, this has been the point since Genesis 12. Not that they had verses and chapters, but you know, he's, this, oh, yeah. is, this has been, this is what this whole thing has always been about. So I think part of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to have better conversations is we have to start at the right point about what it what is our identity. And from the beginning, God's heart has never been about the Israel, although God loves Israel. I'm not don't hear what I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, don't make it political, I guess is maybe what I'm trying to say. But the whole point was that we as the people would reach all people, that we would bless all people. And when we lose sight of that identifier of what it means to be the people of God. Because I think a lot of times we get most upset when when Jesus is wants to reach people that that aren't that that aren't like me potentially. When 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 people who don't view the things the way the same the way I do or don't have the same thoughts that I do and Jesus loves them too. And and I think that that's what the Israelites were like, why are we why are you telling us these stories about God reaching outside of, of us? This is supposed to be for us, and it's our promise, and it's our, our message, and it's our story. And they got so mad that they wanted, they wanted to stone him. And, and then it's got this funny verse where Jesus just slips through the crowd. I don't know how he did that. But, you know, it's just yeah. this, this fascinating thing. So I think, once again, how do the change that we are bringing is not even that the church would succeed, but I think it's the message, and I think it goes back to that whole Nicodemus thing. We got to be reborn, and you wrote a tweet not too long ago that that to be reborn is again and again and again and again. I think is is in essence what your tweet said not too long ago. Yeah, kind of the idea that probably the most Christian thing you could do is be born again, 
and probably many people who would read this would think to themselves, I've already done that. Right. And so I think we, in the culture that we live in and in the culture that they lived in, it's always this this understanding of what story is going to fuel how I view those around me. And I think part of the civil rights movement was, hey, we got to begin with that God created these people too, and that they are all created in the image of God. And I think that's the essence of what Martin Luther King Jr. was trying to say is, hey, we just want to be... We just want to be equal. You know, he, yeah. he quoted the Constitution all the time that we're all, yeah. you know, given the inalienable, inalienable rights of being created in the image of God, that we were all created equal. Yeah. And and I think that was, I think if you could, and this is probably a way over generalization, but I think if you could sum up what MLK, like the heart of all the protests, of all of the the movement, of all of the sermons, of all of the the understanding of what he was to be about was, I just want everybody to understand that that we begin with we're all created in the image of God. Well, yeah. You bring up that we're all created in the image of God. Something that I think is a problem with human ideology is that we have this tendency to think all or nothing or one or the other. So we have this idea that I can only choose what is best for me or I can choose like what is best for you, but somehow like I can't, th- those things are mutually exclusive. But what's interesting about Jesus and his idea of the kingdom of God is that it's the, the vision is usually inclusive. Now, there is that instance where Jesus is upset at the lady and he says, listen, I'm not come, I, um, you don't give the masters food to the dogs implying that she's was she a Samaritan, Moabitess? She's she wasn't an Israelite, let's yeah, just yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 she kicks back and she says, Well Lord, at least the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, kind of implying that she had this understanding of salvation coming through the Jews, but kind of reminding Jesus almost that it was that it was to be bounty that that spilled over that others could eat from. And he says to her, I mean, he applauds her. He's like, lady, you've got great faith. And I think he heals her daughter in that situation. But Jesus, Jesus brought a, was bringing a kingdom that was for everyone that was for the whole earth. And one of the things that I think about that Martin Luther King Jr. said, that is one of the, in my opinion, the most Christian things that he said is he had this idea that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Kind of this idea that if you in your location choose to do something that is unjust, it affects the universe of justice. I would say that that principle holds in Christianity for righteousness as well. Like that if if that when you do <clears throat> when you do the right thing you are enhancing goodness and righteousness in the world. And when you choose to do the wrong thing, that you are that you are a threat to righteousness and goodness in the whole earth. That the two, the universal is not exclusive from the local. I think that's just something really, really important just to, I, to think about and to remember. And the reason the reason that I bring it up is I, I think that we have this delusion 
that we in our lives are disconnected from what's going on nationally. And listen, I live into this often. I like to say I'm not interested in national politics or I like to say that because it's it's kind of an easy out. Right. But the thing is, the way I live my life locally is very much connected to the whole. And what Jesus what Jesus came to do is interesting. It's like when people were would would come to talk about Jesus and the kingdom of God, they usually had kind of a nationalist agenda in mind or like a lo- local agenda in mind. And it seems like Jesus dodges a lot of these questions that could be either locally or nationally political or politically charged because the thing that he was doing was something that in, encapsulated like both. Like it was something that was bigger than what individuals' imagination could handle. And, you know, this is also why I think Martin Luther King Jr., I think his theological imagination was massive. I think it was huge. I think that he recognized that in the long term, even though he was made fun of, that peace would bring about peace. It's not like violence could somehow bring about peace. I think that he knew that. Well, even that, Jesus said that. Live by the sword. Die by the yeah. sword. Sorry. Didn't. Well, no, I, and I, I think that, I think that, Martin Luther King also knew that in the end, truth would win out. Mm. That if he told the truth, if he preached the truth, if he confessed the truth, when people wrote history, that eventually one day people would look back and say, this man was testifying to the truth. You know? And I I, I don't know that I'm helping us get closer to kind of what was the change that Jesus would bring about. But it it's not as simple as saying well it was it was local or it was it was national you know it was more than that bigger than that which may kind of be incomprehensible in a sense but it was universal and that it affected everyone and that if it was good news for one it had to be good news for everybody it can't just be good news for one good news if it's gospel it has to be gospel for everybody not just for you not just for your group, but it has to be gospel for everybody. And that's why when he says, you know, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, he immediately goes and he starts talking about these other peoples. Because if it's going to be change that's gospel, that's kingdom of God, it has to be universal. There's a line in um, the prayer of confession from the Book of Common Prayer that I think when we're talking about these issues and maybe even just bigger issues that I because you just said something and it made me think about it that that a lot of times I can look at my life and say, well, I'm not racist because I'm not participating in in racist things. I'm not doing specific acts against people. But there's this line in the prayer confession that says, forgive me for things that I have done and for things that I've left undone or something to that effect. Yeah. Um and I think a lot of times as Christians we think, well, I, I'm not I'm not actively participating in things that would be detrimental. But sometimes I wonder if our inaction, justice, injustice anywhere, is a threat to justice everywhere. Are there things that that me just sitting back and saying, Well, I'm not participating in this, but are there things that as Christians that as we seek to be 
the people of God, as we seek to truly treat all people equal and see them is as equal, that sometimes my inaction or the things that I've left undone, I think, is, is the phrasing in the prayer. Are there things that I leave undone, conversations I could have um, that I am that I need to be forgiven for because of my inaction or or things rather than just sitting back and saying, well, I'm not actively participating in these things. Uh, is that maybe the question I'll throw it to you, what do we do with that? How do we how do we as we are thinking about truly participating, truly trying to live the kingdom and 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 are we 50 years from now when the church does look back or people do look back at the church when we were alive and trying to be who God is calling us to be? Is it a potential that they would say, well, they didn't participate in this, but man, they sure were inactive or they didn't do things that could have helped the situation to a higher level? I I think that this whole conversation again. So today, I don't know that I don't know that we're going to reach a conclusion that's no, very I satisfactory. <clears throat> but I but I do believe that this conversation ought to cultivate in us a very sincere sense of humility. We don't know, right? From our point in history, like like we we just don't know what what people are going to be perceive of us. And we want to be humble enough to say that, like the early disciples, we probably don't have the thing, the kingdom of God figured out. We have to be humble enough to say that. I was reading Psalm 51 with my worship team this weekend. And David, after you know being um, confronted about his sin by the prophet Nathan, one of the only things in that psalm that he says confidently, he says, the, the sacrifice that's acceptable to God is a contrite heart. This attitude of contrition, this attitude of humility, this attitude of I was wrong. I might be wrong. And I feel like if Martin Luther King Jr. calls us to anything in the church today, he's got to call us to confession. Say, you know what? I might be wrong. I might not be doing it perfectly. And I, I pray that God will help us in these days to be people of contrition, to be people of confession, to be people of humility um, that are willing to be reborn and that are willing to give ourselves to the mystery of the kingdom of God. You've been listening to the Evangelicals podcast, which is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.